0: Hey, I'm Wyatt Welch, and you're listening to Echo Talk. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Echo Talk. It is currently a Monday morning here as I'm recording. So happy Monday morning, but a Tuesday to you. A Monday on a Tuesday. How's that for you, huh? I wanted to just give a quick shout out to my friend Riley Jensen. She just got married this Saturday? She just got married this Saturday, so congratulations to her to her and her amazing husband, Colton. They are two of the most amazing people, and I'm so glad that they found each other, and I love them both dearly. Without further ado, let's jump right into the pyramid of this week. The pyramid of the week is... Drummo please. Pop, 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 soda pop. I thought it was about time that we decided which soda is best and which soda can kick rocks. I've also discovered that I love that saying, kick rock, so I'm gonna be using a lot more now. This one was a tough one because there are two that could win first place for me. And honestly, I'm undecided at this moment right now in time, which one is going to win first. So I guess we will see which one gets first place for the top of the soda pop pyramid. I do, however, know where to start at the rock bottom. And that drink is root beer. I remember vividly as a kid one time, I was playing in the park, playing in the sand as you do, Making a cake out of the sand in the mud, and I thought to myself, "I need some water to to be able to get this to work, to stick, right, to make a pie." But lo and behold, there was no water to be found. It was dry as the Sahara Desert. But you know what I did have with me—a bottle of root beer—and I poured it into the sand and I started to play with it. And it makes me shudder to this day because I remember getting sick, sick to the point of where my stomach was turning because I was thinking about the root beer sand that I had made. And I have not been able to drink or smell root beer the same ever since. I remember I took a swig of a drink once, thinking it was my It was root beer, and I'm not even joking, I did gag, because the smell was so bad, it, it made me ill. And it's so sad, because I used to love root beer. I used to get it in the old-timey bottles with my grandma. We would love drinking root beer like this. But since that day in the park, I have not been able to look at it since. Look at it, smell it, drink it, the sense, ugh, it's terrible. Next on our pyramid is orange soda. I hate orange soda with all my heart because I like orange juice, but orange soda is just nasty. It's it's like, why do we need it? We don't need it. But the uh, I'll just go on to the top three here. My bottom three are Sprite. So can you find the similarities between Sprite, orange soda, and root beer? This is like the the party essentials for Utah. <laughs> Every time that people would be like, we're having a party at my house, It's going to be crazy. I'd show up and there'd be a Little Caesars pizza, one box, not even two, one box of Little Caesars pizza and three sodas sitting on the counter, which would be Sprite, Orange Soda, and Root Beer. And I would be furious. What kind of party does not have any other sodas besides those three? Now I get it. It's for religious religious reasons that you're not drinking caffeine, but at least warn me so I can pregame with some sort of caffeine at my house before I go to this party that only has... The triad of Utah sodas. Oh, it's terrible. I will say Sprite does get a step up above the other two because Sprite is that one drink that I will drink when I'm feeling sick and it does help me out. So Sprite, you're not all that terrible, but you're also not that good. So don't get a big head, but stick around, okay? We need you sometimes. Next on my pyramid would be Dr. Pepper. I like Dr. Pepper because it has that spicy kind of feel, you know, when you drink it. It's like, ooh, that burns in a good way. I... Don't know how else to describe it besides spicy. And fun fact for you, Dr. Pepper was a dentist, I believe. I don't know if I should call it a fact because I don't actually know. I think I heard it once and I might be spreading rumors. But that's what I like to do on this podcast is rank things and spread rumors. Only positive ones, though. (laughs) So Dr. Pepper, I think, was a dentist once and they named a soda after him. That sounds not right, but I think it's right. I won't fact check that. Someone else fact checked it and let me know. Let me know if I'm correct. Now, we get to the last two of this and it's tough. I I have to say it depends on the mood because one of them I would love in a car trip. The other one I wouldn't. But the other one I would love to have with Costa Vida and the other one I would not. So for that reason, I do have to say my second place, my first loser is Mountain Dew Blue Voltage. Ah, it's a tough choice to make. But uh, the reason why I love this one is because one, the soda is blue it, what kind of, it looks like I'm drinking Gatorade and it's kind of fun. When else do you get to drink a blue beverage that doesn't poison you? You don't. So that's why Mountain Dew is delicious. I, I also think this was associated with a, a wonderful core memory for me is back in high school, we all stayed over at my friend McKay's house and we played Call of Duty for hours on end. And the only thing we had to eat was popcorn and candy. And the only thing we had to drink was Mountain Dew Blue Voltage. The way that we would survive with these conditions that we put our body under. But it was one of the best nights of my life. Call of Duty and I'm not even a Call of Duty kid, but I loved playing it at other people's houses. And the fact that he had soda at his house that had caffeine instead of the triad of terrible bland sodas. That that was enough for me to make it an all-time favorite. So yeah, I would love a Mountain Dew blue voltage as I'm driving because it makes me feel clean, right? This makes me, it makes me feel like I have a clean mouth when I drink this. I feel like I don't have to, this is going to sound bad. I feel like I don't have to brush my teeth. You know what I mean? Because you know how sometimes you drink soda and it starts to feel a little bit placky on your, on your teeth. This one, I don't feel like that with, I feel like I could drink five bottles and I could go to bed and be perfectly fine. Now I'm not saying I do that, but I am saying it does make me feel a little bit better about myself and makes me feel like a clean mouth Number one, I'm sorry to be boring. I'm sorry to be bland, but that's just how it is. My top of the pyramid this week, Coca-Cola. There's just not another. There's not another that compares to Coke. Sorry, there's not. Pepsi tries. Pepsi's too sweet. Pepsi is missing that spice that Coca-Cola has. I feel like Coca-Cola has that nice blend. It's like a vanilla tobacco. Oh, Coca-Cola is definitely a vanilla tobacco candle in a soda form. Just realizing this. Now, Coca-Cola, like I said, it's, it's delicious. I can have this with every meal and I'd be, I'd be pleased. I have to tell myself sometimes, do not drink Coca-Cola, drink water, right? Because it's so good. The best, I will say, the best way to drink a Coca-Cola is by going to Maverick, getting one of those insulated styrofoam cups, the large, of course, not the extra, extra large, but just the large that has the right, the right capacity. And I fill it with pebble ice. I do two squirts of vanilla, one squirt of raspberry syrup, and then I add in my soda, and I will pump in three pumps of the creamer, the sweet cream. And you guys, that is just straight up manna from heaven. I mean, it's straight sugar. That's why I love it so much, but it's so good. That is my go-to dessert beverage. I feel like that's what they had in the good and in, gooden in days. The gooden in days? Instead of wine, they would drink a Coca-Cola with raspberry cream and vanilla. That's what they had. And one of my favorite things about living here in Utah is I can get that drink pretty much anywhere I go because there's a soda shop on every block, right? It's perfect. And that's my pregame for when I go to your lame parties that only have Sprite, orange soda, and root beer. <laughs> that's what I'll be carrying in hand when I walk into your to your party. Not to judge you again. I get it. I get it for the right reasons, but I'm just going to say I don't like those reasons. So I'm going to drink my own caffeine. And that's my stance on that there. <laughs> But yeah, that's my soda pop pyramid. Let me know what you agree with. If you feel like Coca-Cola deserves its spot one. I know some people may think Pepsi or Diet Coke. Okay, hold on. Here's here's an unpopular opinion coming out. If you am I gonna say this? If you like Diet Coke, you're boring. Sorry, I said it. But I feel like if you like if you like Diet Coke, you're a person who likes the office and you are a person who drives bad. <laughs> that's 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 what it's going to be. Maybe you're not a boring person. I shouldn't say boring person. But the other things go hand in hand. If you like Diet Coke, you like The Office, and you drive poorly. And that's a fact. Scientifically proven. No one needs to fact check me on that one because it's true. And that's my unpopular opinion there. Will it get me in trouble? Maybe, perhaps. But I stand by it. Am I just singling out Riley Jensen right now? (laughs) Probably. Love you, Riley. If you have been listening to Echo Talk this February, you will know that I have been sharing my favorite love stories with you guys. So first, we talked about the story of Eurydice and Orpheus, right? To hell and back. Then we talked about David and Patrick, set in a medieval time, but also with popular pop culture references tied in, for some reason. And a weird country version of Twyla. Well, this week, I continue with another story, as well as next week, where Riley Jensen will actually join me in helping me share one last love story of my favorites with you guys. This week's love story, however, is taken place by The Haunting of Bly Manor. If you are unfamiliar with this TV series, it is a Netflix series. It's currently on Netflix. You can watch it at any time. It's the kind of the second season, I guess, of Haunting of Hill House. So if you saw Haunting of Hill House, I bet you'll like Haunting of Bly Manor. It's written by the same guy. Amazing, amazing writer. I feel like his TV shows on Netflix are some of the most amazing, beautiful TV shows. Have Some of the best quotes and the acting is so good. But the love story in this one I really love because it focuses on a different type it focuses on love versus possession right the, the the difference between the two because sometimes I feel like we can get so wrapped up in a in in our worlds or we can get wrapped up in a relationship that we not, may not even realize that it's not love it's it's being controlled by someone and this happens a lot with with teens it happens with adults right i It's happened with us sometimes, even controlling another person without realizing it. Because we think it's love, but it's actually control. So that's the reason why I love this story so much. And it may not have that happiest of endings, but it still does end in a way that I love. Now, the way that this story is presented is it's an entire season. It's an entire show that I'm having to now condense into, like I want to say, 30 minutes or less. So I'm going to take from the narrator because the way that the show opens up is that there's a bunch of guests at this wedding and there's a woman there who they're all sitting down around the fire and they say like oh we have we have time till tomorrow like who's got a good who's got a good story who's got a good uh, ghost story and this lady's like I do like it's it's not one that's mine it's borrowed from a friend but it's quite long and they're like okay well let's hear it So, I'll be taking word for word from what the narrator says for some bits. So, I just want to get that out there. I'm not taking credit for this writing. It's the narrator from, it's the writing by Mike Flanagan that I'm going to be taking from and and using it here. But just so that you guys are able to hear it from the beautiful poet that he is. And then I'll, of course, add in my other parts, but I'll try to make this one more. I guess this one isn't going to be as comedic as last time because it is more of a beautiful love story. So, I'll try to keep the vibe with it there. So, without further ado, let's get into the love story of Bly Manor. Because Bly Manor's history starts long ago, towards the middle of the 17th century, that's where we shall start our story as well. I shall take the liberty of calling him Mr. Willoughby, A name, like a zone of highly respectable sound, keeping left a widower after six years of marriage. He had two daughters, born at the interval of five years apart. The elder, Viola, and the youngest, Perdetta. He raised two strong women, until he was in the ground. And that's when the two women found themselves stuck as little girls, seeking after marriage, in order to preserve the estate of Bly Manor. For women in that time had nothing, no present, no future, without a tie to a man. So there they were, as little girls once more, but now with nothing in the world but each other. Now these two beautiful women were sought after by many of men. However, Viola could see through their intentions, for they were vultures trying to pick at the carcass of their late father. So Viola knew that the house must stay within the family, for if it was to go to others, it would disappear. So Viola sent an invitation to a distant cousin, one Mr. Arthur Lloyd. Her message said that he was to marry her or marry her sister but there should be no mistaking the true authority of Bly Manor, nor the way that things would be done. The wedding was a small affair, as it was for Viola to maintain a relationship over Bly. This transaction saved Bly Manor. Viola would sleep, but then she would wake. Restless, new to her heart, she would walk, she would sleep, she would wake, she would walk, she would sleep, she would wake. Upon her walks and waking and sleeping, she realized that perhaps her marriage may have some amount of love to it after all. Viola had a child. My dear Isabel, she said, I have no honey words to speak. It is fierce out there, but you are fiercer. The belongs to you and they will try to take it from you as they did me, but I will not let them. Instead, we shall move mountains, my girl. It is you, it is me, it is us. Those were the rosy times after Isabel was born, but nothing holds. All things change given time. And change does not announce itself. It's not a trumpet at its arrival. No. Change is emergent. By the time one realizes it has arrived, it has already set its teeth. As for Viola, her suspicion began as small, as inconsequential as the tickle in her lungs. Viola had an inordinate love of dress and the very best taste in the world, a taste her husband would indulge innumerable yards of lustrous silk and satin, of muslin, belt, and lace from all over the world, and all manner of expense, some as rare and rich as if they were spun of threads of jewels, all passed through her cunning hands without a word of boast coming from her lips. No, from her lips, only the sickness. Impossible, finally, to ignore. How long does she have, her husband would ask. Months, months at the most, the doctor would say, and I would keep her separate from the rest of you, as we do not want this sickness to spread. Viola had surpassed the predictions of the physicians and priests alike. Held alive, some would whisper, by stubbornness alone. I will not go. Some in the village said death had come for Viola, nightly, in fact. Those first few years, a dark carriage led by a red eyed horse, denied at the door of Bly Manor. That dark carriage and its driver denied so often, in fact, that I would never venture to Bly Manor again. Viola longed to be with her daughter, but she could not be, and feared that the sickness might spread. I feel better today, Viola would say. You say that every day, yet every day you look worse and worse and worse, Pardetta replied. Viola sneered. The Lady of Bly Manor. I have no ambition. Viola, I don't. Liar, Viola said, in between her fits of coughing. Viola, if he looks at me now and then, it is because he is lonely, and he is human. It is because for the last five years, the only husbandly duty he's fulfilled is that of mourning. I will not allow it. You should think of Isabel, Viola. Think of her. What will she be left with? What memories of you will she carry? Will it be this? This version of you? Because Viola, with love, let it be anything else. Viola struck Predetta across the face, leaving Predetta to care for Viola in silence. Now just before the sixth year of Viola's living death, she summoned to her room all of the jewels and clothes she had accumulated in her days before the sickness. I will not be buried in my rings or my dresses. My rings and my lace and my silk I can say without vanity now that I am done with them. They will be a great inheritance for our daughter, and so you will keep them. You will watch them for her till she grows into them. Do you promise me, Arthur? promise me that you will keep them for her, that you will keep the key, and you will never give it to anyone except our child. Promise me. I promise, Arthur would say. The money failing as time went on, Arthur was required more and more to business, further and further across the oceans to places exotic and rich, and with Arthur gone, all pretense was put aside. Perhaps it was the hour. Perhaps the fact that everything in this world has that point beyond which it can bear no more weight. But that night, as Perdetta beheld her sister, a thought occurred to her. The word come to her a full year prior. And like the tickle in Viola's lung, it had grown in the secret places. The word had eclipsed her thoughts at night and waking as well. The word began in her chest as the sickness did for Viola. It had spread, insistent. A whisper in her ear, in her mind entire. And now, the word crept down her shoulder and her elbow until the word came to live in her hand. The word was mercy, and the word was a lie. Because it wasn't mercy on her mind or her heart as she moved her hand to Viola's throat and took the last breath of Viola. It was every slap, every insult, and every day that had passed, every moment after the last rites. It was a different word that infected her all this time. The word was not mercy, she realized in the end. No, the word had always been enough. Arthur bore his bereavement, soberly and manfully. Now the lord of Bly Manor, in all respects, it was very soon came to be predicted that he would marry again, and there were at least a dozen young women of whom by no one would say that it was no fault of theirs, that for six months after his return, the prediction did not come true, for in Perdetta's eyes, he felt an echo of Iola's. The echo, growing louder, did deafen him to the songs of others. They were married, and as was becoming with great privacy, almost with secrecy, in the hopes, as was waggishly remarked at the time, that perhaps the late Viola may not hear of it. And on their wedding night, as Perdetta took residence in the bed which had been her sisters, each party obtained what they had so desired. For Arthur, a beautiful woman, somewhat known to him already by the virtue of her lineage, But Perdetta's desires, as you will have observed, remained a good deal of mystery. In the first three years of their marriage, Arthur encountered some challenges with money, harder than any other challenge he had encountered before. Though a solution, he kept his oath to Viola that her jewels and treasures would be saved for their daughter and for their daughter alone. We have the solution above our heads. We cannot even afford a housekeeper anymore. And above us locked away our silks, jewels, and linens, if not enough to save us, enough to right the ship. It is for Isabel. The manor is for Isabel, Perdita would say to Arthur. And would we let it fall to ruin before she comes of age? Once and for all, Perdetta, it is out of the question. We mustn't dispose of an oath to Viola, and I will be gravely displeased if we return to this matter. But what right had Viola to dispose of our future? As Arthur walked away, Perdita stayed in her mind. We return, dear listener, to another night. The night in which Viola would sleep. She would wake, and she would walk. She would sleep. She would wake. She would walk. And time went by. How much time it it was impossible to reason. Sleeping. Waking. Walking. Sleeping. Waking. Walking. And in time, as we all do, she admitted all. She admitted she was dead. She admitted her husband had moved on. She admitted her daughter was growing without her and she admitted she was not within the walls of Bly Manor. She was confined to the walls of the trunk. Her room was a dream, a construct, a lie preferred to the truth of the trunk. But there waited for her, at the end of this purgatory, a reward in the knowledge that one day, the door to the trunk would open. One day, the locks would see their keys and one day, Isabel would open her mother's trunk and claim her reward, both of their rewards. And day after day, night after night an ocean of time the moment finally came but it was not isabel who had opened the trunk for it was her sister breaking the oath that viola had made with arthur in doing so predator unleashed something at bly manor that day something so vile and violent and costing her her life for viola's rage clasped around predator's neck and took her last breath just as she had done with viola Now, being free from the trunk, she was free to walk around Bly Manor. When she beheld her husband, she saw that the changes of him were not time, but of his sadness. Only that, and so overwhelmed, she slept and waited. They buried Lady Perdetta and set about forging a new life. The business was empty and the manor was lost. If not in law, in spirit. They would move away from here, sell the manor and find a quieter life, a smaller one, made only for the two of them. Arthur and Isabel. The two of them, and also Viola. At last, at least, she'd be with them both. Her husband. Her daughter. No matter if they couldn't see her, couldn't touch her, couldn't hear her. No matter. She'd be with them, and that was all that mattered. They were leaving Bly. Leaving most of what remained of their belongings. Her reward for all these years of isolation. For all the ache in her tired heart. But... Arthur had grown a superstitious man, and had seen the horror of Perdetta's lifeless face. His superstition defied reason, but he felt confident all the same. Whatever curse had claimed his second wife, he would not risk his daughter to its icy fingers. His daughter, nor anyone else. So he cast Viola's trunk into the lake of Bly Manor. This final insult of being cast to the swampy depths while her daughter would grow into womanhood, this absolute abandonment, it shattered Viola's heart. The feeling of being pulled towards some other place, some realm beyond, had faded in the years since her death. But now, she rejected it outright, with every ounce of her considerable will, as when she was sickened against all probability, Viola would not go. The eldest of the daughters, once Lady of Bly Manor, remained. Some would whisper by stubbornness alone. The pull of that next world ignored, she instead made her own gravity. Gravity of will. That would change the terrain of Bly Manor forever. And once again, she would sleep. She would wake, and she would walk. As if woken from a nightmare, she would walk back to her home from the lake, feeling that each time it was a dream. Feeling that if she walked into her bedroom, to the room she once shared with her husband, her infant daughter, that perhaps the nightmare would abate. That she could simply slip into the warmth of blankets and nestle herself to the bosom of her family, waiting for her all this time, she'd stare at that empty bed, and Viola would remember, and the remembering itself was injury anew. Her heart would shatter, burning in her bosom, a searing ache that she hoped would be quenched by the cold, muddy waters of her new manor, her new home, the lake. Thus, she would sleep, and she would forget. Having forgotten, she would wake, she would walk. How many nights, how many walks, She no longer could count. Her attention lay only ahead. Only on the bed that was her goal, and on the daughter she believed each time she woke would be waiting for her there. She did not even realize that a decade had passed, not even realize that after an outbreak of plague in the village, that the empty manor had become a quarantine for the coughing death that ravaged her former community. It seemed her invented gravity that held her to the ground kept her in purgatory. It would hold others too. The plague doctor, Who crossed her path, found himself face to face with the grasping cold hand of Iola, taking his last breath, and being immediately forgotten. She would sleep, and as happens when one dreams, she would forget. And having forgotten, she would wake, she would walk, she would sleep, forget, and forget, and forget. And with the forgetting, an ailment altogether monstrous, all things fade, all things Flesh, stone, even stars themselves, time takes all things. It is the way of the world. The past recedes, memories fade, and so true does the spirit. Everything yields to time, even the soul. Wake, walk, forget even more. Her name, forgotten. Her sister's name, forgotten. As her memories left her, so too her face. So little did she remember that one night she found a child in her daughter's old bed and could not remember who she had been hoping to see. She had only the faint notion that she had walked this far hoping to find a child. And here was a child. It must be the child whom she'd sought. So she carried the child back to her home of the lake. She would sleep and she would fade and fade and fade and the others too. Those souls held in her orbit, those unfortunates trapped in her gravity well she had made of Bly Manor, they were fading as well. The eldest of the daughters, once Lady of Bly Manor, now just a thought, just a feeling. Not a woman at all, not a person at all, not a name or a face, just need. Need and loneliness and rage, her her fate was a nightmare, a fate that befell all trapped at Bly. A fate that befell Viola's once sister now forgotten in the attic, unaware that she'd ever had a sister at all to murder or be murdered by. A fate that befell anyone unfortunate enough to step into her habitual path. A fate that befell a poor valet so many years later. A fate that befell even those who died of other causes at Bly, who found themselves in the grips of Viola's gravity, even if never in the grip of her icy hands. No hope for anyone with a sad misfortune to die on the grounds of Bly. No hope for the victims of blight, be they victims of fate, of, of vice, or disease, or of each other. And no hope, it would seem, for the young au pair who eventually stepped into the path of her own fate. Um, okay, so we're already almost at 30 minutes right now, and I still have so much more left to the story. That's just kind of the setup for this story, so I think... I'm going to have to do a part two that will come out on Thursday just so that way you can split it up a little bit because I don't think people want to listen to an hour-long podcast on this. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you love these stories, but I'm going to split this one up so you'll hear this one today and then wait two days and then you'll hear part two because it is such a good story and I didn't want to cut out. There are so many things I'm already having to cut out from this story, but I want to make sure that the beauty of this story is told in a in a way that I can still get it across to you guys in a podcast episode. So by doing two episodes, I think that'll do it justice. It won't be another pyramid for this bonus episode later this week. It'll just be the part two story. So yeah, uh, look forward to it then. And that way, if you also don't like this story, you can just skip it and you don't have to listen to it. So regardless, I will catch you next week. Bye.